Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we look at Psalm 16 together. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. Yahweh is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless Yahweh who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set Yahweh always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. That first word, we don't actually know what it means. A miktam. Uh, there are several words like this as you move through the Psalms. We have just, we've lost out on them. We don't know what they are. We preserve them because they are still God's word. But that's all we can say. David, you know, the king over Israel uh, for well, a solid chunk of years, really. 40, I believe it was. He, he reigns from 1008 B.C., on into the 10th century as the second king over Israel. And so here he prays to the Lord, preserve me. He asks for the Lord's help, the Lord to maintain him, the Lord to uphold him. And as we'll see in various ways in this psalm, it is not just in this life, but also the life to come, the paradise that the Lord has for us. In you I take Refuge. We take refuge is, I mean, that's where we, we flee. It's where we flee from the oppression of sin, death, and the devil in this world and in this life. That there are going to be attacks on our faith. There are going to be things that cause us to grieve. Where do we seek refuge? Where do we go to be preserved? Where do we go to live? And David says it's to God. And he acknowledges why in verse 2, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is worth unpacking with your kids. Throw this at them. Can you think of anything good that you have that isn't from God? Let them play with that. Let them toy with it. And when they offer up suggestions, parents, dad, mom, show them how they're wrong. Show them how that thing, whatever it is, 
whether it's you know the dinner that you just had or or the roof that's over your head or if it's the the toy they enjoy or the friend that they have show them how these things are gifts that the lord has provided that's your task point your kids to christ in all things always verse 3 as for the saints in the land so the Israelites, the people of God, saints, holy ones. And notice this is different than how you're used to hearing saints talked about um, in a lot of Christianity. The Roman Catholic Church, you cannot be a saint until after you've departed this life, typically speaking. That's not the way we treat the word saint as Lutherans, nor is it the way we see it used here in Scripture, right? They're in the land. They dwell there. This is the people of the king. A good king delights in caring for his people, as God delights in caring for you and for me. This is why he invites us to pray to him for our daily bread, because he wants to give it to us. And he does. He does provide. He does care. He does preserve, to use that first verse language. Verse 4 gives us a contrast. Whereas it is God who gives all things good, those who do not seek the Lord, those who do not seek their good from the Lord will only see their sorrow multiply. Things will only get worse. As they run after other gods in this life, and probably fair to say the, the life to come, right? The the time in eternity, although the scripture will not describe that as life, but death, the second death. It may seem like things go well for them right now, but that will not be their end. Their end will not be good. And so David knows this, he sees this, he sees it from his enemies around him, such as the Philistines, and their false god Dagon, and he declares that he will not join them in their pagan sacrifices. He will not offer their cup with them. He will not speak the names of their false gods from his lips. It's like confessing Christ, right? If you say, I believe in Jesus, you're confessing his name. We do not speak that way of other gods. I do not speak that way of Allah, for example. I mean, even that was close. I do not recognize Allah as a true God. He does not exist. He is false. In David's day, it was the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But, I mean, you already, again, have Dagon. So, several. And we have many today. I mean, Hinduism has millions just within Hinduism. The Lord is my chosen portion. Yahweh is my chosen portion in my cup. Let me share with you that this is a choice before you each day. And we don't believe that you can make a decision for Christ. This is a once-you're-in kind of a thing. 
the Lord has wakened you from death. The Lord has, has taken you from being dead in your trespasses in this world. He's made you a new creation. And so now you daily have this choice sitting before you. Will you seek your provision, your daily bread from the Lord? Or will you seek it from the world? You hold my lot. One's lot in life is essentially the inheritance. It's what they will receive. And it is the Lord who, as David has just said, holds our lot. What we have to receive is paradise. What we have to receive is the forgiveness of sins and life that comes through Christ and the salvation he won for us upon the cross. His cup, right? To use that cup language, Jesus said this, can you drink my cup? To James and John in the gospel when they wanted to know if they could sit at his right and his left hand in his kingdom. Because Jesus drank that cup, he can provide it to us. You could connect that to the Lord's Supper there, I suppose. Um, the, the cup that Christ has poured out for us. The blood of the new covenant that he gives to us and says, take and drink. But it is Christ who holds our lot. He is the one who has our inheritance to share with us forevermore. And so we, we are to choose him. Each day, we live new in the mercies of God. David, in verse 6, admits things in this life have gone well for him. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places is what that means. But he's not just speaking of this in an earthly way, but really also in a full, total way, body and soul, life everlasting, right? I have a beautiful inheritance. And that's not just describing the fact that he's a king and when he dies, his son gets it. It's a beautiful inheritance that his son receives and in some ways expands and in other ways messes up. But again, this is more than this. The beautiful inheritance, specifically the beautiful inheritance, is what we have in Christ. It's that paradise promise. And so David blesses Yahweh. He, he thanks the Lord for giving him counsel. A king is always in need of a good counsel, right? Advice from people who can help him rule well over his people. And so it is the Lord who gives David advice and counsel to rule over his battle against sin. You and I are in battle against sin. Our sinful nature each and every day seeks to overcome us seeks to master over us, but we are not to let it. And so the Lord is our counselor. He is the one who advises us in that fight as we fill ourselves with scripture, with his word. And that's the next part, right? In the night also my heart instructs me. If this were just David's heart instructing him, it would end poorly. Genesis 6, the Lord reveals that the the formations of the thoughts of the hearts of men are nothing but evil continuously. So even what forms our thoughts, before we even have the thought, 
to be evil. Already what's behind that, forming it, is evil. That's how deeply mired in the muck of sin we are. And so if it were just David's heart, it would lead him to evil, like with Bathsheba. But when our heart is set on God's word, when our heart is filled with God's word, then our heart can instruct us with the counsel of Yahweh. This is Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so David says, I've set Yahweh always before me. Day and night he is meditating on God's word. Day and night he is in prayer to his Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 17. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The right hand is a picture of war. It is a picture of battle. It is the hand that you hold your sword in. So how are you going to do battle against sin and death and the devil? How are you going to fight in this world against persecution and oppression? By the Lord, by his word, and by prayer. And because you have these things, you cannot be shaken. This is what Romans 8 teaches, right? Start Romans 8, verse 31, and onward from that. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Because he is at your right hand. And he has promised you salvation. He has promised you forgiveness and life. And the devil cannot take that from you. The world cannot take that from you. And thus he says, therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. Philippians 4, Paul says this, rejoice always again, I say rejoice. We take joy in the Lord because he is at our right hand and we cannot be shaken. We have these gifts. Our heart is glad because our heart is, our heart is being constantly reformed, right, by the Lord's word, by prayer, by the Holy Spirit, to seek Christ and his gifts rather than to seek the things of this world. Verse 10, you will not abandon my, sh- my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. On the surface, for David to speak this, Sheol here is then a reference to death in the grave. Um, basically, our, our phrase today, we would say six feet under, something like that. David acknowledges that he will not be dead forever. Corruption is uh, here more like corruption of the flesh, deterioration. You think of what happens to a body that decays. So David's expression in verse 10 for himself is to point out that there is a resurrection, that David hopes in a life that never ends. Now, Peter, the apostle, is going to pick up on this as he preaches in Acts chapter 2, and he's going to point out that David is not truly saying this of himself because, well, there's his tomb over there, and he did decay. But... This speaks of Jesus, whom the Lord rose from the dead, and that decay did not attack his flesh. And because Christ lives, we live. That's why this then can be true of David, even as it is true of us, because it is first true of Christ. So yes, David's flesh decayed. And if the Lord delays in coming back longer, my flesh will also decay, but God has not abandoned my soul and my body to Sheol. He has not abandoned you to the grave. He will 
keep his promise, he will raise you from the dead. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. Jesus speaks this way again, right? Narrow is the path that leads to salvation, whereas wide or broad is the path that leads to destruction. To stay in the Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. Your word, the very word of God. Which we then would connect to John 1 and say that that is Jesus himself. He is the path of life. In your presence, so to be with the Lord, there is a fullness of joy. You can't get that in this world. And that, that again, confuses what joy is, as we would think of happiness. Like, you can do as much as you want to try to be happy here in this life. You can spend lots of money. But as the old phrase goes, money can't buy happiness. Sinners try. We try to achieve it for ourselves, but that's why joy is more than just happiness. Joy is what you treasure, and you can fill yourself with all the treasures of this world, and you'll still want more. It's not a fullness, because you cannot satiate the sinful flesh. You cannot sin so much that your sin is content. Your sinful nature will want more. But in Christ, there is a fullness of joy. We have a full treasure. And we will be content. We will be satisfied. And yet, it's actually the opposite at that point because there is always more for Christ than to give. There's another day in which we get to be with him. There is another meal which he will feed to us his very self. It's a night and day contrast. When we try to live for this world, we are never full, even though we have as much as we want. But when we live for Christ, when we live in Christ, we are full, even though he is infinite. What a beautiful thing. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is David speaking of Yahweh. We might even say God the Father. So here, ask your children, what's at his right hand? Or who is at his right hand? And this is that line from the creed, right? That Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The right hand that the Lord's weapon of war against sin, death, and the devil is his son, Jesus, and that his son, Jesus, still wars against sin, death, and the devil, forgiving our sins today. The victory is won. The battle is over. And we continue to, to reap the benefit of it in Christ. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, seeking the pleasures of this life will fail But when our pleasures come from the Lord, that's eternal forevermore. 